This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the quarantined ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 577 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I am the internet's Joe Patrick, and one head of this monstrosity. And I'm the other head, and my name is Matt Baum. This week we are taking off our shirts, and we're pulling on our fur bikinis to review eight sword and sorcery comics. After that, it's up at the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where, well, we got some news to tell you about. And we're also going to tell you about what we're reading next week. Yeah. And finally, Wooly Toots has been quarantined too long, so he's starting a Marvel movie special review series with one of Matt's favorite 80s sci-fi fantasy flicks, Crawl. I'm not sure why I said sci-fi, but we're sticking with it. Because there's aliens in it. All right, great. It starts off with a spaceship landing on the planet. I stand by it, then. (laughs) It's all happening in this battle-tested berserker of an episode, so let's get into it. It's review time in the ziggurat. This week, you may have guessed it, but our Dungeon Master, Wooly Toots, a.k.a. Jared Savitas, came up with our theme, Sword and Sorcery Fantasy Comics. Joey, before we get started... We could both use a little drink. Yeah. And Justin has something special brewed up just for us. All right, nerds. So I guess this week we're talking about swords and sorcery. Um, For me, that's easy because a year after I was born, even though I didn't read the Robert E. Howard comic, I did see Conan the Barbarian. I literally burnt this VHS tape up watching Conan the Barbarian over and over and over and over again. I love the world uh, that was created there. You had Basil Paladorius' soundtrack, which is huge and epic. The movie is bloody. It is hard. It is not easy. It's all practical effects. Uh, you got James Earl Jones. You got Oliver Stone writing. You got John Milius directing. It, there's nothing bad about this film. Watch it again. Uh, you know, 66% Rotten Tomatoes, go fuck yourself. Check this movie <laughs> out. You agree with me. It is way better than anybody's given it credit for. It stands the test of time. So the drink this week, um, I literally found this online. It's not one of my drinks, um, you know, first time for everything. But then again, a lot, of, a lot of the drinks that I give you aren't necessarily mine. Some are just classic and amazing. So this comes from uh, SuperheroCocktails.com. And... Uh, This guy literally did the research, found this Greek recipe that kind of likened to the time of Conan, and found this recipe of equal parts of three things. Now, it should be lager, mead, red wine, and then, you know, some kind of herbaceous liquor. So how he ended up defining it, um, one part lager, because everybody can get lager, one part cider because cider is actually a lot easier to find than mead and the, the flavors kind of complement to, to it more. I think you could also use tapache, which I'm, I like to make out of pineapple rinds. I think that would work great in there as well. And then red wine. Um, I'd maybe go one ounce of each or you go two ounces of each. Whatever you do, just make sure you go equal parts of each. And then it says to use plentiful dashes of chinon. So I would say if you used 
you know, one ounce of each, then I would use maybe a quarter ounce of Chinar. Um, if you did, you know, two parts, you know, two ounces of each item, maybe use a half ounce of Chinar. Now, Chinar is an, uh, like a bitter herbal liqueur. It's an Amaro. Um, if you if you can't find Chinar, I think you could do you could use maybe Angostura Amaro. Um, you could probably use Locano if you can find it. Let's say for this drink, let's go two parts lager, two parts cider, two parts red wine. Have your lager, your cider in the fridge, cool. The red wine can be room temperature. The Chinar can be room temperature. Just build all those in a, in, a, in like a mug, in a horn, whatever you prefer, and then go to town. All right, nerds, enjoy. In a horn. Yeah, I a love horn. It. Come on, it's got to go in a horn. <laughs> Justin is a THN bartender, and soon. He's, you're going to be able to visit him up at Ocaran on the Benson Strip. It's right here in Omaha, where he runs one of the best cocktail programs in town. Joe Patrick just found out he's from Kentucky, and it sounded like he was on a rocking chair or something like a real old timey yeah, rocking he was chair. Just on the, he was on the porch, you know, just yeah. like looking at the sunset. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Insensitive, Joe. That's great. Why don't you go ahead and start us off the reviews, racist? Uh, Excelsior. <laughs> oh, sorry. Chin Excelsior. Chin. My first review is of First Issue Special, number eight from DC Comics 1975. DC's First Issue Special was a weird little series, kind of a tryout book for odd concepts that may not have fit into the company's publishing plans. It saw the first appearance of future greats like the Mikhail Thomas Starman, uh, forgotten characters like the Green Team, Boy Billionaires. Oh, man. Green Team. <laughs> and in this issue... We had, we had a Mass Effect multiplayer team called Green Team. Green <laughs> Team. Green. Yeah, that's right. Green, green Team, team. Uh, And then in this issue, we see Mike Grell's Warlord. Here, veteran Air Force pilot Travis Morgan is shot down by Ruskies, while on a secret mission, and he crashes in a world of magic and monsters called Scartaris. While wearing very tight pants, by the way. <laughs> He's wearing an Air Force uniform, a pilot's Jeez. uniform, Matt. I don't know if they make them that tight. Maybe Look, they don't make them that tight anymore. Yeah, How's that? you know, it was the 70s, dude. <laughs> yes. Uh, Scartaris was a land that time forgot, hidden within the center of the Earth. The story is written and drawn by future legend Mike Grell, and you can definitely see the potential that he would eventually live up to here. It'll be a while before we get to the metal speedo and winged helmet-wearing warlord, but at least we do get to see him adopt his famous Ollie Queen goatee in this issue. Grell adds some fun touches that set Travis apart from the typical barbarian hero, like how his knowledge of advanced weaponry and tactics give him an advantage over his enemies. He's got a revolver with 12 bullets, and they yeah. treat him like he's a god. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you would be, I suppose. I, I guess. You know? <laughs> if you showed up with a telescope, they'd be like, oh my god, we should worship this dude. I guess so. <laughs> Uh, I've always loved Warlord, but this was my first time reading his first appearance. First issue special number eight is a fun look at the origins of a classic character that I have been a fan of since I was a kid. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I've read some Warlord before, but I never read this. It was a lot of fun. The cover is fucking awesome. It's like a dude fighting a dinosaur. He's got a chokehold and like his hot girlfriends in the background with a sword getting ready to kill it. Yeah. And then when you open the first page... Same exact picture, only dude has a knife and girlfriend's on the ground scared. <laughs> like yeah, the dinosaurs know. in the same exact pose. Uh, Grell's art is even back here. 
is awesome. I mean, totally he, awesome. he would only get better. Like we, we know him, yeah. we know him for his work on Legion of Superheroes in the later seventies. And of course, Green Arrow and oh, he, yeah. his work the only gets better from here. And yeah, definitely. But you know, they saw this and they went, this guy, he's going places. Yep. This is awesome. Let's give him a shot. This is a super fun stuff. And it's sort of a loose take on the sword and sorcery where like the guy's, you know, displaced or whatever and ends up the savage land type thing. Yeah, I right. love this. Huge buy it. This is a fun read. All right. What do you got first? My first review is Creatures on the Loose, number 10 from Marvel, 1970. And you're saying, Matt, what are you doing reviewing Creatures on the Loose? This was the first appearance of Cull, pardon me, King Cull, right? I was going to say Cull the Conqueror, but that's a different thing. I mean, it's the same guy, right? Yeah. Right. Roy Thomas is writing here and Bernie Wrightson is on art. Cole was one of Robert E. Howard's other barbarian creations. And I haven't read a whole lot of Cole. I don't know much about him. I do know that Cole's adventures sort of start out with him being a king, whereas Conan starts off as a barbarian and later becomes a king. Yeah, like old, like old Conan is a king. Yeah, like I'm sure there's other differences. I just don't know them. <laughs> I will say... Cole hates being a king, and he talks about it a lot and at length. <laughs> so <laughs> Cole is marching his army home here. They stop at a castle. His buddy, Canoe, one of Cole's subjects Ye and boy. also a picked emissary from a tribe of, quote, savage racist. <laughs> he tells Cole the castle that he wants to check out is totally haunted. He's like, nope, bad idea, Cole. That there's like runes on here that say, don't open it. This is a terrible idea. And Cole says, well, I'm way too tough to be scared of that shit. So he opens the door anyway and releases a horrifying demon. Yeah, like a Cthulhu monster. <laughs> sure. It's a good thing Cole is just as tough as he is egotistical. And he beats the demon back into its own dimension with a magic gong. The demon has like silence powers. And the way it's written is really great. Roy Thomas writes this like, horrifying nightmare like at first you're you're just like oh so it's quiet who cares but as everybody goes deaf they like start falling down and they're terrified like i can't hear anything <laughs> i'm not sure what marvel was thinking with this one as cull is very similar to conan and conan was also released like this same year it's like they were trying to double up on almost the same exact character yeah like i was wondering i don't 1970 right that's like the same year that conan the barbarian number one hit but i don't remember like obviously i i feel like conan must have come first i'm sure it did I, i'm but sure it we're did. talking months apart mm -hmm. and no more than 12 <laughs> so. yeah, it, it, yeah i <laughs> don't know 11 don't know. it's got to be less than 12 months apart right i don't exactly get it bernie wrightson's art is just amazing here as usual. His demon is super scary. His cull is ripped up and badass and flexing the whole time. Thomas does a really nice job adapting Howard's stories, and it reads very much like the Conan stuff that I've read. It does kind of paint Cole like he's a moron here, but I'm giving this a buy it. I'm not sure I would follow this king into battle based on what I saw him do here. Yeah. Be like, that guy's an idiot. I'm going to go work for somebody else. I, I don't know, man. I, so I don't want to spoil my the rest of my opinions about about your comics this week but they all kind of felt exactly the same well we'll get to that i think we should talk about that in the end all right, right? and let's, let's 
but so I read this and I'm like, why isn't this just Conan? I like, I, yeah. I, I didn't, I, mean, I that, didn't get it. Like, I had the I, same question. I didn't understand why it wasn't just the same character. I, I know in my head, like intellectually, I understand the fact that Robert E. Howard wrote about a different character named Cole the Conqueror. Right. But this comic, it, it did not do anything to set it apart from what Marvel had already started with Conan the Barbarian to me. No, you could have switched the name. Just switch the name, and this is a Conan comic. And be like, from his time as Conan the King, whatever. Like, okay. And, and you wouldn't even know, because he looks like him, too. Right. Yeah, that's another thing. It's like yeah. muscular, long black right. hair. It's, Maybe make Cull, I don't know, Swedish or Asian. Sure. Yeah. Or any, any, anything right. else. Latino. I don't yeah. know. Something. Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving this a skim it just because it was so familiar to so many other existing Marvel barbarian stories that I've read that it just didn't, it didn't set itself apart. I think the art, the art was great. Yeah, and that's what I'm going with. Just on its own, I read this. This is it was what it was. The story's really well written. The art is great. And if I'm a kid and I read this at the time, I would have loved it. I don't know why it's not Conan, and I, but I have to divorce myself from that when I'm just like looking at this one issue. So, but I don't think going, you can. I don't right. think you can. You're like, we're, it's hard. We're it's revi- certainly hard. We're reviewing this as its own thing, and I'm looking at it as its own thing and saying it's exactly like this other thing. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So it's a skim. Yeah, it's like the Bronze Surfer. You know. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> They're both of the same company. <laughs> yeah. Your turn, Joe Patrick. All right. Next up, I am jumping to the 80s with Sword of the Atom from DC Comics 1983. This is issue number one. Okay, spoiler. I've already fucking loved this series so much. Oh, no shit. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's so uh, weird. <laughs> I, was not, I was not as generous. Uh, after reading this comic, it dawned on me how few Ray Palmer solo adventures I've actually read. The guy is boring. He's boring in an issue. That's half about his marriage falling apart and half (laughs) about him finding a race of six inch tall barbarians in the Amazon. Right. I couldn't really find anything all that compelling. I don't know if it's the character or the script by Jan Stranad. And yes, that's how it's spelled S T R N A D. But I just thought this was, dull i thought it was dull even when the adventure actually kicked in it all boiled down to what i assume most classic adam stories were about something that wouldn't be any trouble at regular size is suddenly very dangerous well yeah it's honey i shrunk the kids i mean come on sure i love the guy as part of a team and i can't even say that the story was bad I just didn't really care. The art by Gil Kane, Silver Age Great, is good. It just couldn't elevate the story enough to hold my interest. I'm giving Sword of the Atom number one a skim it. Okay. I got Sword of the Atom, I think it was like number three in one of those like Toys R Us comic packs. Yeah. As a kid and read it and was just like, oh my God, this is Awesome. I didn't know anything about the character. Yeah. I didn't know any, I didn't know he was a member of the JLA because I wasn't reading any DC stuff at the time. Sure. I fell in love with it and I never found any of the back issues because their back issues weren't a thing at the time, you know, and much later when you picked this, I was like, fuck yeah, I'm going to read this. I'm super excited. And I read issue one and it sucks. <laughs> like, 
it does kind of suck. It sucks. <laughs> I have this like cachet as a kid from the, like it was this exotic comic book, <laughs> you know, or something that came with like an X Men book, a Care Bears book, and Sword of the Atom, you know, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> And so I thought this was going to be so much fun. I was like, oh, man, this is my excuse to read it. And I read issue one. I was like, you know what? I don't even want to read number two or number three. I'm giving this a leave it because it fucking sucked. <laughs> it's just it, it's just it's so it's the weirdest idea. Uh, like even concept aside, it's just it's such a familiar story where it's like, yeah, guy from another culture meets a group of quote-unquote savages, doesn't understand the story, helps them overthrow an oppressive regime. Right. It's it's yeah. it's the same thing we've like, seen in, like, every Indiana Jones movie. Like, oh, thank God a white guy came along. Yeah. Oh, we were I, so screwed until a white person came and, and showed us how to do it. Right. <laughs> and in a story that's, like, at most, with ads, 25 pages being generous... Ten of this them like, are about his marriage falling apart. Yeah, that's a thing. It's like, this was during a time where I don't feel like they were selling comics to adults. And how many kids are like, yeah, yeah, I can really do this. I can My wife yeah, left me. Boy, man, do I feel, <laughs> do I feel Ray Palmer's pain? Yeah, yeah no. totally. I, it's a bizarre choice. It's, I just, I didn't get it. I Like, I remember, like, I heard about this concept as a kid and I'm like, oh, weird. The atom went into a. I thought it was like a micronaut situation, or it's like, oh, right. the, the atom went into like a microverse and met this group of nope. weird. Nope. 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 It's just like, oh, they're all six inches tall. They ride around yep. on regular sized frogs. Little tiny tribe. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's stupid. Matt bomb. The last time we reviewed an Atlas comic. It was during their ill-fated revival. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my and God, I almost forgot about that. If I recall correctly, we did not appreciate this concept at the time. No, we did not. But this is the first Wolf the Barbarian, number one from Atlas, 1975. This was written and drawn by Larry Hama, yeah. who's famous. Famous Wolverine writer and the guy who created the G.I. Joe mythos and character backgrounds for all the original toys. The art here is very John Bushima, Conan style, because atlas had broken off basically and, and they said well we're gonna be the new marvel comics and like anybody who feels like they're mistreated at marvel dc you come over here to atlas we're gonna take care of you like they pioneered creator rights and stuff and i guess they paid really well and these older guys that worked for atlas still sing about how kick-ass this company was i totally forgot that larry hama was a really talented artist he got a start as an artist yeah i had i totally forgot Wolf's story, however, is fairly boilerplate. It's sword and sorcery origin stuff. A young prince sees his mother and father murdered and vows revenge. He's saved by a brave knight. They live in poverty where the son trains to one day get his revenge. And that day comes pretty quick when the troll that killed mom shows up with dad's sword in town. And Wolf transforms from meat kid in training to Wolf the Barbarian. And he kicks that troll's ass. <laughs> Hammer creates a whole world here that I can see kids in 1975 totally wanting more of. The issue has it all. It's got trolls, a dragon, lizard people. Atlas Comics was really going for it at the time. And like I said, they were paying top dollar to their creative talent 
Wolf is a book that I've heard spoken of with real reverence, and I'm so glad that I had an excuse to read it because this was really good, and I'm giving this a buy it. I'm totally shocked. I mean, they stepped out. They didn't go full-on Conan. Wolf is kind of a skinny, blonde-looking dude and stuff, and they kind of spend the whole issue telling you, like, I don't know, this kid's not very good at it until he has to become good at it, and then he is. I loved this. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, this reminded me less of Conan and more of Game of Thrones. Yeah, definitely. It was there was a, a lot. It there was, was a lot more going on. It was. It was a lot of like, oh, Arya Stark taken under the wing of this yeah. assassin dude, and she she learns and grows and becomes a badass, and then totally. Yeah, and I was like, oh yeah, this is great. Uh, it's also like that great scene where they get on the dragon and like ride across the world. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's where the lizard men live. Oh, yeah, that's the area of the screaming demons. And I was like, whoa, whoa, stop. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that. Right. You know? Yeah. So this was the this was the first uh, this was the first of your picks this week that I thought, oh, this is different. This is something different than what they had been doing. Definitely. And if you look at the year it came out, we're talking 1975. So it's it's within a five-year span of Wolf, or uh, pardon me, of um, Creatures on the Loose and right. uh, Conan King Cole and, and Conan. Cole, and I was like, oh, that shit. This, is, this is a different take. And he's not just like, he's a barbarian. That's all you need to know. We have a backstory. It's compelling. The me- Like when the mentor dies, spoilers, I was like, oh, shit. Like I was really upset about the mentor getting killed. Well, and it was it was cool too the way they did it because like the whole time Cole, I called him Cole. Sorry, Wolf. That whole time Wolf. They all have the same like four letter name. Sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Like Wolf was like, well, I'm in training and I I don't really know and everything. And he comes home and he finds dude dead and he's like, this dude fucking took out three people before he went down and somebody yeah, walked out. That of was here. badass. I'm gonna go fucking find that guy and all of a sudden he is pissed yeah and like he's yeah. gonna pit not only is he pissed he's gonna go mess that dude up and the dude does the same thing like throwing the sword back and forth that his yeah. buddy who's oh, a juggler and, oh, does it was the it was the grabs the sword out of his hand it was the kills sword him with it. it was the sword that killed his mom yeah or he took it off his mom's dead body the grinner the the, the weird like ogre guy the grinner yeah, he was like a troll. Yeah. He took it from dad. He took it from dead dad. Oh, I thought it was his mom, mom, but whatever. No, he, yeah, yeah. He took it from dead dad and killed mom. I mean, it. it was a family heirloom. And, right. And so, yeah, that was that was so great. Yeah. Uh, and, like, I really liked this. And Larry Hama, underrated as an artist. Totally. He was uh, really good. Yeah, I, huge buy it for me. I, I haven't read many Atlas comics, but I really liked this one. For sure. Um, I've got a whole run of Captain Victory that a buddy of mine bought me. Oh, boy. He was like, you you love Jack Kirby. I got these for nothing. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. And I read them. They're tons of fun. They're, they're so fun. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. I am taking a huge time jump to the 1990s. My next pick is Telos, number one, from 1999, Image Comics. It was created by frequent collaborators Todd DeZago and the late, great Mike Waringo. Telos is a magical patchwork world made up of countless different lands and realms populated by mythical and legendary creatures filled with adventure, dot, 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 and danger. Oh, my. I know. 
Airships share the sky with dragons, while anthropomorphic tiger thieves try to evade lisping frog soldiers. Meanwhile, the swashbuckling Captain Sarah tries to smuggle out a mystical amulet sent to her by a comrade. There isn't anything too groundbreaking in this first issue, but it does have the comforting familiarity of a great 90s Disney afternoon era adventure. Matt, you're older than I am. Totally. I'm talking about like pirates. uh, Well, this wasn't Disney, but like. Pirates of Dark Water, Tailspin, yeah. Dezago's script is lighthearted fun, but the real star is the breathtaking work of the legendary Mike Waringo. If you mainly knew him from his superhero work, you can see what joy he took in flexing his creative muscles this way. The world really is as beautifully designed as a Disney animated blockbuster, and his creature and character designs are incredible. It's clear that Telos was a real passion project for everyone involved. It's a shame that Waringo passed away before it became more than a cult favorite. I know that Wooly Toots swears by Telos. He loves it. And it get, and number one gets a definite buy it from me. Yeah, it's just a wonderful book. This is the book that Battle Chasers wishes it could have been. Oh, hell yes. Basic. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, it's a buddy book about a kid and a tiger. You know, and like a yeah. tiger person, I should say. And it's just so much fun. I remember reading this in, in like 1999. I was an older dude, but I loved this. It was great. And I like, I wanted to see this, make a cartoon of this, make a movie of this, make a oh, game of this. This would have been Please. a great animated series. They fleshed everything out. It was so much fun. It, it's a massive buy it. Uh, Waringo, what a huge loss, man. That guy... It, it's awful that we lost him when we did because yeah. he had so much more in the tank. And this is just a great looking book and a ton of fun to read. Huge buy it for me. All right. We've got one more of these of yours to get through. Yeah. Let's just get it over with. <laughs> this one this is another one that for some reason I came to with some cachet as a young man. I had a paperback Elric book. A Michael Moorcock book. And it was called Stormbringer, I think, which is the name of a sword. And I read that book and I loved it at a very young age. And I've tried every once in a while to return to the world of Elric. It hasn't gone well. So let's talk about Elric number one from right. Pacific Comics. Yeah. This is 1986. It was written and adapted by Roy Thomas and Michael T. Gilbert. Gilbert is also on pencils. And P. Craig Russell is on layouts and colors. With that said, I'm not sure what went wrong. So layouts would be like... P. Craig Russell said would be like, I think this is how uh, the, the the page should be framed. And he'd do a loose sketch of like, here's where a dragon comes in and here's the scenery and here's how the characters are positioned. Oh, it would be maybe like, it is Gilbert. It I don't would be know. like a very, like a storyboard almost. Fair and enough. then Gilbert would be like, no problem. I got it. And then he would do the pencil art. Fair enough. Yeah. Like I said, I've always wanted to kind of love Elric. I know he was a beloved character and very important in the fantasy fiction world, but I've always found the books were kind of confusing and a bit boring. Now, the creative team here may have done too good of a job because this was also pretty confusing and fairly boring. <laughs> the story opens with a sickly Elric on the Ruby throne. His cousin, Yakroon, is plotting against him. 
Elric is going to marry his cousin. Yeah, I okay. Guess. So we don't get to that until well into the book. Right. And I'm like, wait a minute, that woman is his cousin? Yeah, and then we get two pages of lovemaking. Passionate. <laughs> Passionate <Yes>. lovemaking. <laughs> the narrator spends the entire issue hammering home how weird, sad, and sick Elric is on a very fundamental level. The characters all have the same grim, weird voice, and the art here is just crazy. Totally yeah. crazy. Yeah. I sent Joe a, a, a picture uh, just like completely removed from the book, and I was like, hey, I'm reading Elric right now, and it's this like twisted, screaming face of Elric, and it's all yellow, and like his eyes are bulging. <laughs> so he's like an albino kind of, right? He's white yeah, skin. Yeah, he's like, he's an albino elf that was like born sickly because of a curse and he has to take a potion to stay strong well he takes several potions to stay healthy and strong but he also is like a very powerful sorcerer which a lot of other elves are not i did not get any of that i know i it morcox elric is a very complicated character in a bizarre world on the edge of chaos at this time The day of the elves is coming to an end and humanity is beginning to rise up. It's very full of dark magic, flowery dialogue and utterly dour, grim characters. I found this completely impenetrable and impossible to care about. That doesn't make it a bad adaptation, though, because that's how the books read, too. This is just not a comic that I care to revisit. I I was going to give it a skin. Yeah, no, that's a leave it. Because I feel like they worked very hard on this, and they definitely adapted Michael Moorcock's ideas yeah, to the page. But a faithful <laughs> adaptation of a terrible concept is still a terrible concept. I, I, I maybe I get. I can't go past the skim it though, because I feel like it uh, worked you, so hard on this. You coward! <laughs> uh, no, look, I read this. I read this, and I I was utterly befuddled. For yeah. most of the experience, I <laughs> yeah. like at first I'm like, okay, uh, so Elric is already the emperor. So this is not like a weird, like coming of age or coming to power story. He's already in charge. He's got a cousin that's scheming against him. Okay. That's familiar. Uh, and then he rides off into the wilderness with a woman and then they fuck for two pages and yeah. then he calls her cousin. <laughs> And I was like, hold on. <laughs> the other side of this is this is Elric number one, 1983. I, this I is mean, the first fucking it, one. Is this the, <laughs> is this the first ever Elric comic book? Yes, this is the first one. I'm looking at the others right now to make sure that I'm not wrong. And everything else is like 1987 or 2004 All or right. whatever. Yeah, I mean, like, so they are obviously assuming that the reader has some sort of familiarity with the concept. Yeah, I no did, doubt. I did not. I'm sorry. I know people love Elric. I get it. I know it. P. Craig Russell loves Elric, and this oh, would yeah. not be the first time he he deals with the character. I thought this was terrible. Now, if you go and look at like the Elric from the that Tops comics put out, and I think it was like 1987, 1988. That book is gorgeous. I can't say that it. I mean, P. Craig Russell drew the whole book and everything. Yeah. I can't say that it's great because I haven't revisited for so long, but it's a beautiful book. 
he is still sleeping with his cousin in this one. <laughs> like looking at like, it right now. You know, like I, I'm saying that he, I, nothing to nothing against Michael Gilbert. I don't know what he did after this. But if P. Craig Russell had actually drawn this comic, I may have actually been like, okay, I get it. Yeah. But no, it it's awful. It's awful. It's it was a chore to read. <laughs> it and, really was. Um, I'm gonna go on the record as saying that Elric sucks. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Michael Moorcock fans. I don't get it. I'd rather read about The Witcher. Well, somebody call us and defend this. Let's have a defender segment. I, I guess. Like, I guess defend I, Elric. Like, tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us what we need to read. Tell us what we need to start. Like, we admit we don't know. We don't know. Like, I, I try, I've tried to know. I, I don't fucking know. I I have tried and failed to play The Witcher three five times (laughs) and i still like it better than i liked this comic book (laughs) oh i played the hell out of witcher 3 (laughs) i mean i loved the tv show i loved the netflix show Um, it was great i'm giving this a leave it i i i I was not into it i totally understand and i'm i'm not going to defend it i (laughs) it's it is what it is. <laughs> I don't even like that term, but I think that goes. Yeah, really, uh, yeah. Uh, I think that completely applies for Elric. It uh, is what it is. <laughs> uh, as we used to say and used to get uh, crap for, it's not for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right, Joe. Last one. Let's, let's do this. Let's end it on a high note. Hopefully, my last review is of Aerosmith. Number one, not the band. Uh, it's Wildstorm slash cliffhanger from 2003 i really loved wildstorm's cliffhanger imprint from the early 2000s it was a great showcase for creator-owned works by veteran creators like humberto ramos's crimson joe kelly and chris bacalo's steampunk and yes even randy andrews's favorite danger girl by j scott campbell Aerosmith is the story of a young teen driven to join the war effort against the forces of darkness ravaging Europe in 1915. What's different about this world is that the elite soldiers wield spells and dragons against the likes of wicked fairies and flaming ogres. For all of the fantastical elements in the story, writer Kurt Busiek excels at injecting a human element like lead character Fletcher's proud father forbidding him to abandon the family trade. Uh, he thinks the whole magic thing is frivolous. It's just like taking away from hardworking, hardworking people. Even Rocky, the rock troll that works for Fletcher's family blacksmith business, has an all-too-human story about the loss he suffered when the war broke out in his homeland and he became a refugee. The art, holy cow, the art by Carlos Pacheco, Jesus Marino, and colorist Alex Sinclair is absolutely stunning. They seamlessly meld the aesthetic of an early 20th century world combined with the wonder of magic and monsters. Aerosmith number 1 sets up a compelling tale of a magical world with horrific wartime parallels to our own told by a group of master creators. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Yeah. This was from a time where Wildstorm was kicking ass. Just yeah. absolutely kicking ass. I, I looked at the list of Wildstorm comics that were coming out around that. I'm looking at the page like right now. Like a bullpen bulletins for Wildstorm. Yeah. It's and like, here's all the stuff that's coming out. And it is Leave Extraordinary Gentleman Volume 2, Promethea, Terra Obscura, Tom Strong, Cliffhanger at Aerosmith, Tokyo Storm Warning, which was Ellis and fucking fantastic. 21 Down, um, I remember being really great. 
homage had just put out red number one red like, number one man, yeah there was so much the authority number three uh gen 13 global frequency sleeper so much great stuff was coming out of wild early 2000s of wildstorm man uh, man and, and this all kicked off like say what you will but this wave of creativity from Wildstorm kicked off after Jim Lee sold to DC. It's true. Jim Lee sold to DC in 1998. And one of the first things they put out was Warren Ellis's authority. Yeah. And it only got better from there for a number of years. I, I honestly, like I'm a fan of Carlos Pacheco and he's a fantastic artist. I think this is some of his best work. I don't think there's any question. If you look at his full body, even up to now, this is some of his best work. It's gorgeous, stunning stuff. I think it that just, I think that he really excelled when he was paired with Jesus Marino. Oh yeah, most definitely. His dragons, the rock troll. I mean, this whole book is just beautiful. It's an amazing world. I wish they would have done more of it. It's a gigantic buy it for me. Like that scene, there's a scene at the beginning. It's several pages. It is all in French. Yeah. You don't it's like the need- French soldiers. Like, and they, and like the fairies show up yeah. and, and you can tell they're just like, whoa, whoa, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. And at first they're like, oh, hey, cool fairies. And then yeah. the guy in charge is like, no, you idiots. Yeah. The fairies <laughs> like, are no, no, no. bad news. The fairies are bad, bad fairies. <laughs> and then that flaming rock ogre thing with the giant club yeah. shows up and it is horrifying. And it's awesome. It's so, <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. <laughs> Cram! That does it for the reviews this week, and Sap Cram is the sound made by Conan dropping a right-left combo punch on some fancy dress royal as seen in the pages of Conan the Barbarian number one from 2004? Oh, the Kurt Busiek one, huh? Yeah. Oh, nice. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Brian Domingos, who isn't afraid to dole out a bloody nose or two himself. If you want to submit your own onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Or better yet, call us, make the sound, tell us where it came from, and we will play it on the show. Joey, it's been a fun ride, and the Cosmic Long Box will definitely make its return as a segment on this show, but... Time to return to reviewing new comics. I just okay? can't fight this feeling anymore. Trump told us to get back to work, and God damn it, we're big fans, so we're going to do exactly what he said. We're reopening the ziggurat. COVID be <laughs> damned. We used to come up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to relax after a heavy review session and talk about our must-read comic picks for next week. It's time to get back to the business of new comics. Joey, what is your must-read pick for Wednesday? June 17th. I find it very hard to believe that you're as excited as you're pretending to be (laughs) about this pick. (laughs) Uh, So my actual pick of the week came out today. So I'm not picking it. I'm just picking something from next week. We're going to go next week. Because that's what we do. That's what we do. My pick for next week is Dark Knight's Death Metal number one from DC Comics. Can you tell how exhausted I am already? <laughs> it's written by Scott Snyder with art by Greg Capullo. It's 32 pages for 3.99. I don't think that's actually true. I assume that it is exercised in some way. Here's your solicit. Get ready for the earth-shattering encore. 
the legendary, yeah, 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 we got it. Uh, when the Earth is enveloped by the dark multiverse, the Justice League is at the mercy of the... <sighs> the Batman who laughs. Humanity struggles to survive in a hellish landscape twisted beyond recognition, while Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman have all been separated and fight to survive. Unleash the beast and let the head banging begin. Look, we had fun reading Dark Knight's Metal. Look back at the record. We can't deny it. I tried to make sense of the DC timeline, and I thought I had it until Scott Snyder said that everything that's happened in DC since, uh, I don't know, Rebirth takes place before his run on Justice League. <laughs> what? So nothing that's happened in the comic. Look, <laughs> nothing that's happened in DC Comics happens post Justice League and the Year of the Villain and Perpetua and all of that bullshit. What? I know. And I don't know if that's because of Doomsday Clock screwing everything up. I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm going to say that's because of Scott Snyder screwing everything up. I'm not blaming I, this on Doomsday Clock. I don't know. I don't know. But, By the way, 32 pages, $4.99. It's oh, special. Oh yeah, it's, it's special. There you go. It's very special. Yeah. Uh, it's probably got a fancy cover. Oh, I'm sure. Several of them. I mean, we read everything digitally, so we'll never see it. I just want it to be over. Yeah. There's so much uncertainty about what's happening in DC. We had all of that talk about like 5G and Wally West being Dr. Manhattan and and making sense of the DC timeline. And now I'm reading that's all canceled. Well, it's, you know, the guy that came up with it got fired. So <laughs> I suppose. And I, I, I just I just want I want this part of DC's history to be over. Yeah. And I want to move on to the next thing. I am tired of reading about doom and justice fighting for balance. I'm tired of Perpetua, who is a stupid character. You know what they need to do? They need to do a full on like Marvel heroic age type thing. I guess. Marvel did a few years back where they were like, all right, we get it. You're tired of the civil war. You're tired of the heroes fighting. And that was back to heroes. We're back to villains. And that wasn't a reboot. They were just like, no, we acknowledge. You're tired of these stories. Here are yeah. the stories you want. I still have a print up on my wall, the Marvel Horizon. I know, it's great. It's, Jim it's Chung. Like, it was such a wonderful return to what we loved about Marvel Comics. Yeah. DC needs to do, they have so much talent right now. I'm not blaming the talent. I'm not blaming editorial even. I just feel like they're in such a state of upheaval between then they losing lost. to Dio yeah. and breaking up with fucking Diamond. And it's just it, like- they're in such upheaval that I don't know how they can get anything done, let alone well, and, anything good. And now, like, this is maybe, a, this is definitely not the segment for this conversation, but, like, there no. also, there's also these rumors about how they might be looking to put more of an emphasis on digital, which is fine, I suppose. We'll talk about that Saturday. But it's just, when, like, I, I don't know, man. I, I just need it to be done. I need it to be yeah. done. And I'm not yeah. even saying that this won't be fun. Because no, Snyder and Capullo together, fantastic. And yeah. they write super fun stuff. And this will be fun. It'll be wacky. It'll be bizarre. Is it going to feel like the DC comics that you and I want to like hold in our heart and be like, those are heroes? Yeah, no. no. Uh, <laughs> I, hope, I hope when all is said and done, 
that Batman shoots the Batman who laughs with a cosmic ray gun like he did Darkseid in Final Crisis. I want him to say the same exact thing. You know, normally I don't use guns, but you suck. (laughs) (laughs) Please tell me what your pick of the week is. My pick for next week is Ludocrats, number two from Image. It's written by Kieran Gillen and Jim Rossinall with art by Jeff Stokely and Tamara Bonvillain. It is 32 pages. It's $3.99. I'm picking number two because number one came out in that weird time where we weren't really reviewing new comics. During the void. It came out during the void. The blip, if you will. The blip, yeah, yes. (laughs) And I read it, and it's a lot of fun. It's basically this sort of very adult version of Asterix and Obelisk (laughs) where it's cartoony and it's ridiculous, but they are saving the universe and they're not necessarily the best people in the world. And I feel like this is, this is the Kyrian Gillen I want to read. This is where he's not taking himself so seriously. He's having fun while he's writing it. It is not as precious as certain other books that I'm not going to name right now because people love them and they come at me when I do. Calm down, that book is over. This is a lot of fun. Here's your solicit. How could we follow the startling first issue of Ludocrats with issue number two? Sometimes it doesn't pay to overthink these things. Herein, (laughs) stuff of a ludicrous and oft-entertaining character happens. That's all it says. I love it. (laughs) Oh, man. Issue one was just a blast. It's it's ridiculous, feel-good, fun, mature, asterisk and obelisk, basically. What if comics, when comics went away... And then there was the blip. What if when they came back, they were all just on their fifth issue? <laughs> <laughs> we're like, oh. They were like five issues later with no explanation. All right. Yeah. And they just didn't tell us. And we were all like, oh, I guess the world changed. I don't know. <laughs> that would be rad. <laughs> and we all just tried to play it cool. Like, yeah, yeah. I love issues like, one uh, through four. Uh, Fuck yeah, I read them. Yeah. Like, oh, God. They were, they were, you kidding me? You didn't? Get out some, of here. <laughs> somewhere out there, Chip Zdarsky's running a support group. <laughs> For grieving comic creators. Joe Patrick, what is the THN trade of the week? From what I understand, this is the last one that we completely randomly picked and didn't have anything to do with our... Oh, wait a minute. No, not true. This uh, comes out next week. Yes. And we I'll tell are you back in business. I'll tell you why. <laughs> That's because I searched every single title we reviewed this week and not a single one of them has a trade in print. Oh, I was going to pick one of the new. Not a single trades. one. I was going to pick one of the new Conan trades, but regardless. And it's fine. I think it's good. We're getting yeah. back on track. This is good. Our THN trade of next week comes from DC Comics. It's called You Brought Me the Ocean. It is a graphic novel from Alex Sanchez and artist Julie Moreau. It's a, a number of pages, unspecified, for sixteen ninety nine. Here's your solicit. The New York Times best-selling illustrator of Blue is the Warmest Color, Julie Moreau, and Lambda award-winning author Alex Sanchez of Rainbow Boys fame present a new coming-out romance set against the backdrop of the DC Universe. Jake Hyde doesn't swim, not since his father drowned. Luckily, he lives in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, a real place, which is in the middle of the desert. Yet he yearns for the ocean and is determined to leave his hometown for a college on the coast. But his best friend Maria wants nothing more than to make a home in the desert, and Jake's mother encourages him to always play it safe. Yet, 
There's nothing safe about Jake's future. Not when he's attracted to Kenny Lou, swim team captain, and rebel against conformity. And certainly yeah, he sounds hot. He's yeah, hot as hell. And certainly not when he secretly applies to Miami University. Jake's life begins to outpace his small town's namesake, which doesn't make it easier to come out to his mom or Maria or the world. But, but Jake is full of secrets, including the strange blue markings on his skin. Yeah, we're getting there. And pardon me, this is a that, typo. That glow. I'm yeah, right. I assume. But Jake is full of secrets, including the strange blue markings on his skin that glow when in contact with water. Yeah, that's right. You guessed it. What power will he find when he searches for his identity? And will he turn his back to the current or dive headfirst into the waves? That's right, babies. He's Aqualad. He's Atlantean. Oh, he's Aqualad. Oh, shit. Uh, I mean, that's not his name. I don't think Jake Hyde is his name in the comics. Maybe it is. I don't know. It's not. Um, but he's gay Aqualad. But this is like a, this is a take, a young adult LGBTQ take on like the Aquaman Aqualad mythos. This is more of their sort of like YA stuff that they're doing, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, no, it sounds like it's going to be fun. Well, and like, it sounds like this will help them get into book markets where they can completely ignore comic books, which is exactly what they're looking for. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Blue is the warmest color is like a legit, like worldwide best-selling phenomenon. Yeah. It's huge. Uh, They made a movie of it. It's filthy. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh yeah. It's super sexy. Oh wow. Yeah. And the actresses were like really skeeved out about it. But anyway, that's not not for this show. I love the modern Aqualad. I know that he's kind of come back into comics recently, but uh, like I loved him when he showed up. He first appeared in Young Justice, the cartoon, and then they brought him into um, they introduced him into the DCU in Brightest Day. If you recall that. Yeah, it was great. Uh, Jackson Hyde was his name. So I guess, yeah, uh, Jake Hyde. Sounds fun. Yeah, I'm into it. You guys, this will be available in bookstores everywhere like barnes and noble and on amazon.com but it might not be in your comic book store because they're kind of pissed at dc comics right now you can order it from your local comic shop and your comic shop knows how to get a hold of dc books if they want i'm just saying i'm just saying we're not in the business of recommending people to amazon no i'm not i don't know if you noticed but i was doing it kind of snarky Steal it from the internet for all I care. <laughs> yeah, steal it from the fucking internet. <laughs> Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. A barbarian-themed show just wouldn't be complete without an appearance from our favorite dungeon master. This week, Matt teamed up with him to talk about one of their favorite 80s fantasy films and Marvel movie special comic adaptations. Get ready for the crawl edition of Toots Time. Technically, I believe we call it Swords and Scrolls. Welcome to another segment of Swords and Scrolls, everybody. That was the most professional intro I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Uh, uh, I am Wooly Toots. I would like to introduce to you today my co-host. I am Wooly Toots manservant, Matt Bomb. <laughs> Please don't hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> we need... That's right. We need someone to keep the shields polished That's and right. the swords sharpened around here. That's right. This is your dungeon. And and the and the scrolls organized. That's right. Alphabetically. Of course. And they're and they're bagged and boarded. We're here to talk about Krull. I am so excited. 
I'm so yeah. pumped. You, oh man, when you yeah. so you came and you with this wacky idea where you wanted to go through all the Marvel movie specials of the eighties. Well, just yeah, just the sort, just the ones that are in my wheelhouse. Okay, because there there right? were some sci-fi Cause ones because there's too. a lot. Like yeah. they did James Bond, they did right. Blade Runner, they did. Um, you know, Return of the Jedi. Well, we're only going to do the fantasy ones. I'm doing the fantasy ones. And this all came actually because, so in this quarantine time, right, uh, I am running and playing Dungeons and Dragons almost every night of the week. And I play with a lot of shitty old farts, yourself included, <laughs> Matt. True. You're in what, two of my games? I'm in two of them, yes. And um, inevitably, older us older nerds will always talk about these movies we grew up with, right. um, you know, everything from Beastmaster, Lady Hawk, yes, Kroll, yes, Dragon on and on Slayer, and on we go right, <laughs> yeah. And so, and so, I was like, well, shit, you know, like I own all these movies and some of the comic book adaptations, so maybe, maybe that would be a fun thing to do is to uh, watch these movies while in quarantine and read these comics and then uh, review them. And I that's love it. How we got to this. Situation. I love it. And I'm so super I, excited I, I because somebody somebody put Crow up on YouTube, like the whole thing, and they were uh-huh. like, rent it on YouTube. I'm like, I'm not renting it. And right below, it's like, well, here's a whole goddamn thing. And I was like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was so yeah. excited. And I made Casey watch this with me. She hated uh-huh. it for reasons that are obvious. But like back in the day when I watched this movie, I remember seeing like the promo, you know, the trailer mm-hmm. for this movie. And it was just like, it's a story of a dude. He lives on like old school sword and sorcery planet, but aliens showed up and he needs a yeah. throwing star to kill mm-hmm. them. Now, what they don't tell you in that trailer is they literally don't use the throwing star until the very last, like three minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, Okay, so, yeah, and that was the thing is like when I told you that I wanted to do this movie, you were like, "Are you going to do it by yourself? You want me to do it with you?" Yeah, because I <laughs> love like, it so much. Like, I love like, it yeah, so much. Yeah, do it with me. Uh, and then that's the thing too is like uh, seeing it back in 1983. I know I didn't see it in the theater in '83 when it came out. I I'm did. Sure My I dad took it. me to see this in the yeah, theater. Yeah, see, I'm sure I caught it. Um, I, I uh, when it was on cable, but. Um, it was definitely one of those movies that was on There's, HBO on like a loop. Like you could watch it three it, times it, a day on HBO. Yeah, when you were yeah, a kid yeah. And there's, there's images that like, in you know, just engraved on my brain. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. There's certain things like uh, the crystal spider. Totally. Uh, the glaive, the Ugh. weapon, of course. The cyclops. Um, yeah, yeah. There's With just the really certain, bad, and, and slow blinking eye. <laughs> the... the the fire mares, like there's uh, certain things that were like, you just would, you just can never forget. Yeah. And I did a deep dive, man. I watched this movie recently, probably like six times. And, um, every time my, my, my wife would walk in the room and, uh, she'd go, she'd see the actor that plays, uh, Colwyn, who is like main character, the only American guy, everybody else in this is like a British stage actor with like a beautiful British accent. And like all, a, all Shakespearean yeah. stage actors. And yeah. young Liam Neeson, who is so fucking sexy in this, by the way, he oh, looks yeah, great. Dude. God. And the face, the face he makes when he goes, 
we only work for coin. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> and he was like, he's like, but what about it? What, but what about, you know, he's like, what about what freedom? About freedom, freedom like gives, pays off. that face he gives, he gives that yeah. face like, Purr. and the other dude like yeah. has this great Shakespearean line. He's like, freedom. He's like, chase it. And you go mad. Try and spend yeah. it, and you end up poor. You know, it's yeah. like fight You're for it, over the place. and you'll die crazy. Yeah. Like it was like, oh man, this is so true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah, Sue would see me watching it every day, and she's like, "You are on this dude's cock." And, and I was like, "I was like, I'm doing a deep dive on Kroll, Sue. Just bear with me." The movie was supposed to be called um, "The Dragons of Kroll," right? And the and the and, dragon was going to be a bad guy. Yeah, but then. Dragon Slayer had come out recently and flopped, and so they were like, uh, "We got to yeah, aliens. And like, it's got to be an alien." Yeah, they're like, "Yeah," and they're like, "Oh, but Star Wars was really hot, right?" So maybe we can, you know, mash them together. And you can totally and, see, like, they had this whole idea with like the castle that travels every day. Like at first, it's in yeah, the, the desert Black fortress, and then it's in like the mountains or whatever. And they were like, "What yep. if we just do a thing in the beginning of the movie where the castle is a?" spaceship and they were like yeah yeah yeah, let's do that (laughs) yeah and that's the thing is like it was you know it's always been kind of lost on me like where i was always like well what is this movie trying to be but then i was like okay wait a minute so you have the word world crawl where magic is sorcery is normal Right. Right. Like it's a part of life. It's a part of the, it's a part of their wedding yeah. nuptials. They're, it's a part of They're grabbing everything. fire. They're dipping their hands mm-hmm. in lava. There's a whole bunch of weird fire shit going on. Yeah. And then, but then, then, like you said, you take these invaders from another, you know, from, from outer space right. in this black fortress that comes to the, comes to the planet Kroll and then they start taking over the planet. And they've got like laser they, spear type things. Yeah, they've got like laser gun spears and uh and um and then even the Cyclops is a race of creatures from another world. Yeah. That that once had two eyes, but they made a deal with the beast who is the main bad guy who in Black's Fortress. He's sort of like and, a creature of the black lagoon looking thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's <And> they, great. <laughs> yeah, and his and the interior of the black fortress is like looks like um it looks like HP like Lovecraft. HR Giger. Yeah, it looks like HR Giger's like mom's vulva that he painted yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're just like the whole thing looks like a really weird evil vagina. Yeah. <laughs> it's so <Yeah>. scary. <laughs> uh but uh and then you know, you can't be clearer on who's good and who's bad because you know, the good guys live in the white castle yeah, <laughs> and then the bad guys are the black fortress. Right. <laughs> uh, and one thing that really made me uh, laugh was uh, the que- the, the quest for the glaive. Right. Yeah. So when, when they, when they decide that we got to get this legendary weapon, the throwing star, the glaive, because yeah, there's this whole faded prophecy thing. Colwyn, the main character is like, you know, I'll go get it. And they're like, okay, go. Well, but first, and Obi-Wan, like old yeah. dude, is just like, I came here looking for a king. And like, yeah, and Colwyn the is one. like, they're like literally crying. He's like, ah, yeah. ah, <laughs> and he's like, no. And he's like, well, fine, screw you. And he's like, oh, wait, where are you going? He's like, well, I'm going to the fucking black castle where they have your girlfriend. He's like, yeah, my girlfriend? He's like, yeah, but you're going to need the glaive. He's like, the glaive? I thought that was just some bullshit. And he's like, no, nah, it's a throwing star in the tallest mountain. Mm-hmm. And so now we have like a 10 minute scene of dude climbing a mountain 
That's what I was going to say. Which it's, is not actually, even very difficult. It's actually, <laughs> it's actually a little over, it's a little over two minutes. Like it's almost three minutes long. But it feels but like it feels like yeah. fucking 10 minutes. It feels like every bit of 10 minutes. And then when he gets like, like to the highest peak and there's the cave and he goes in to find it, it's like full of lava, which I'm not saying we're all geophysicists here or anything or geologists, but lava, the bottom part of the mountain. Yeah. They, so they must have really, were really uh, excited about like the, the, where they got to shoot that scene where they're oh, like, yeah. Hey man. Look at how gorgeous this scenery yeah, is. Let's just beautiful. climb all over. We got dude in his yoga pants and he's fucking climbing around, you know, like, and he's got yeah. like the, the weird, like Renaissance boots on. I love Coleman's outfit. Like when he first shows up to the white castle and he's got that helmet. Oh, he looks and, great. Uh, like that leather armor. That's so badass. And, uh, yeah, the, he's very swashbucklery, and and that's the like the director I believe like was really into the old school swashbuckler. Yeah, like Errol Flynn type shit. So they kind of wanted to. do There's that. even a and scene where have... he like swings on and like oh, yeah. like yeah, the exactly. the rope and like kicks a dude in the mm-hmm. face and lands. Yeah, and, and he jumps. Ha ha. Yeah. I hoppy and I jump and I swing <laughs> yeah, and I'm swashbuckler. And like everybody's shooting lasers and like the rest of the dudes yeah. all have swords and they're like ah we fight the old school way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, but my favorite section of the film, and we've already touched on it. Oh, it's about 29 minutes into the film, and that is the introdu- introduction of Ergo the Magnificent. Yeah. And and every scene Ergo is in is He's great. great. He's and totally then, great. He's like the magician that can transform. Yeah. All he can do is transform himself into stuff. Like he turns into a mm-hmm. pig. He turns into a puppy for the little kid. He yep. turns into a tiger later on. Yep. Like, oh, mm-hmm. it's great. <laughs> Ergo's great when he's all like, he's like, can I do not travel with uh, beggars and peasants? Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, so great. It's so great. Shortly. And then that leads into the scene where they meet. Um, uh, oh, I'm so pissed. I can't think of his name. The leader of the bandits. Um, I can't say his oh, name either. He's great though. And like yeah, very recognizable. It, He's a character. Torquil. 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 Like, British character actor. Very like very recognizable. Been in a ton of shit. And he's great. Yeah. And, he's so good. And Hagrid. Did you see Young yeah, Hagrid yeah. too? Really good mm-hmm. looking Young Hagrid, by the way. <laughs> like still kind of a big dude. Yeah. So the introduction of Torquil. I, I and love his that whole ba- scene. Bandit warriors. Where he meets them and they're like, oh, we're bandits. You're surrounded by a hundred men. And he's like, well, a hundred won't be enough. And they're like, oh, yeah. I like this kid, whatever. And he's like, oh, so you guys are all wearing chains. And he pulls out the key and just like unlocks yeah. his chains. And Torquil's like, well, only the king and the marshal have those keys king, or whatever. Yeah, the Lord Marshal. And yeah. he's like, well, I'm like the king now. And he goes to unlock him and he's like, no, 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 no. I'll go on this mission with you but I'm going to wear these shackles. And if we win, yeah. take them off then. I'm like, yeah. oh, oh, that's badass. And that's, <laughs> and that's where he, and that's where he does that awesome speech about um, fame. Yeah. And like, like, you know, count it. It's an empty purse. Freedom. All that, like freedom. That whole, Not fame. Freedom. <laughs> uh, it's so great. Oh. Like, it's so great. Yeah. And, and like even the introduction. So when they're walking into that ambush and it's such a simple, simple, camera effect where there's like a piece of rock that is in front and there's a dude hiding behind it yeah and he's hiding behind a rock so like as the camera moves it glances past the rock and then it reveals that there's a dude hiding yeah and he's like there and he's looking it's so great the side you're like oh shit they're about to get ambushed no there's, there's things about this movie that are 
that are great, that are legit great, like really mm-hmm. well thought out, very good performances. James Horner's music is intensely amazing, but yeah. it sounds exactly like his Star Trek work. No yeah, question. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think our buddy Randy Andrews addresses that on one of his Soundtrack Alley shows. Yeah, he's got an episode. <laughs> we'll, we'll provide a link for it if you guys want to get... He, yeah. It's really detailed on like uh, the history of the film and like uh, different actors and a lot of details behind the scenes. Uh, you know, uh, We're not retreading any of that here, so if you want to listen to his... And then he plays a big chunk of the soundtrack and explains that And the too. soundtrack so, yeah, go is fucking fantastic. <clears throat> it's so great and like uplifting hero type shit. And they take you on this whole journey... Where, you know, like, it's very boilerplate kind of stuff like, you know, the kid was destined to be king, his girlfriend got stolen, his family gets killed, he puts together a group of brigands, and they go to take down the big evil alien guy. And Mm -hmm. it is not until the very end of the movie where they finally unleash the power of the glaive, this throwing star that was the star Mm -hmm. of the trailer that is in like, when you see the movie crawl, the the glaive is right there in the logo. We finally get to see it used. It is the dumbest boss (laughs) battle you will ever see. And I remember like, even as a kid in the theater, I remember going, uh, like, yeah, that's, uh, that's what it does. (laughs) That's that's, that's one thing is like the, the action scenes in this film are, forgettable totally. they're not they're not totally. there's nothing good about yeah. the action scenes it's like at all. old school like like black and white silent film swashbuckler action scenes where like mm-hmm. a man on a table kicks another man you know <laughs> like, mm-hmm, <yeah>. okay <laughs> and then when they get to the special effects stuff they they were already so like bloated and over budget because they spent so much money writing and rewriting this from what i understand and like interjecting aliens and making the slayers look a certain way and then they had to rewrite all the fight scenes because the dudes in the slayer costumes like literally could not move in the costumes (laughs) (laughs) we finally get to the end scene where he's fighting the big overlord thing and he throws the throwing star and it basically acts like a drill that cuts through a shell to get to the poor girl that's in <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. And he can kind of control it using yeah, his like, mind. Like force. an RC airplane. Like he's like controlling <laughs> yeah. it. And then from there it gets even better because like he, he saves the girl and they're running away. And she's like, Oh, remember that scene earlier in the movie where we got married and I grabbed the fire out of the water. She's like, I'm going to give it back to you and your hand is going to turn into a fucking flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh God. It ends so poorly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then like, I, I remember buying the Marvel like comic spectacular, uh, David Michelini or Micheline, however you want to say it. Yeah. The guy, the guy who, uh, made Tony Stark an alcoholic. Yeah. He wrote, he, yeah. he wrote it off of the, based off the screenplay. The so guy it's that like, worked with Frank Miller. You know, on Daredevil. Yeah. Famous. Yeah. So there's like, <laughs> there's slight differences. Like in the comic, different characters say lines than the characters in the movie. And like, uh, but you know, it's. This was it's another case, pretty, from what I understand, this is another case where they got the script. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And were allowed to write the movie treatment, but they didn't get the final script. You know sure. what I mean? Which yeah. is better than what they had for Star Wars, where they were just like, yeah, we got this idea for this thing. 
And they're like, can we get the script? And they're like, oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because they, they used to time these things where they would come out alongside the movie. Right. Like, it's going to go. Yeah. Well, the comic would come out the week before the movie. So, yeah. so we were it was, so fired up. Thing. With like, I remember going to Osco Drug because like I'd been watching, <clears> I'd seen it on TV. And I was such a nerd that I would cut the like the movie like uh ads out of the paper mm. and shit mm -hmm. and save them because mm -hmm. i was just like this is too cool <laughs> look at this huge crawl ad and i went to osco drug and there was the comic book and i was like jesus christ i need a buck 25 like fuck you know <laughs> yeah and i took it yeah, home dude. and read it and was like i was ready and uh, i was so bummed when you were like Let's watch this movie and review the comic. And I thought to myself, I've still got it. I still got it. I looked through my whole collection. I could not find it. Yeah, I still have the two issues. Um, like the second issue, the cover has got the sweet ass yeah. pink, like yeah. hyper pink ink. Oh, it's so cool. Um, and like the artist is Brett Blevins, and it doesn't look like the Brett Blevins you know. Right. You know what I mean? That that, that did like New Mutants and like is very pinuppy with his ladies and well, um, I, I think like in has all a very those cartoony style I think all those specials they tried to make it look like very realistic very much yeah, like, like the you movie. were right mm -hmm. like you were looking at frames of the movie almost mm -hmm. like storyboard yep. type stuff and man I was way too close to buying both these issues on eBay the other night. And I'm just like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, you don't need that. Dude. Yeah. 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 You, can, you don't need to do that. <laughs> you do not need you that. You don't need to do that. Ah, crawl. It's so much fun. Crawl. It's there we so go. It's like, it's this thing where there was this time in the eighties, like movies like this just got made. Didn't matter. They threw money at it. They're like, we don't care. Mm -hmm. Just go. Mm -hmm. And, and fuck it, you don't have a script, write it as you go. We're not worried. You know, like we just we want to make another Star Wars and we want to make another Camelot. And if you could mash those two together, pff, perfect. And they're like, oh, I got it. It's called Kroll. Like, perfect. Uh, here's, here's the thing that here's the thought that I had too. So, okay, how do we how do we revisit it? And I was like, well, I don't want a sequel that like follows the son of Colwyn and Lissa. Oh, by it's, the way, they, there was like right? the prophecy for the son. There was like a girl yeah, of name yeah. will marry a whatever king, and they will rule the duh, and their son will rule the galaxy. Which sounds like yes. their kid is Doctor Doom. I would say to like, Space Hitler. <laughs> I feel like if there was to be another crawl, they would probably go. Oh, let's do a sequel with the son, right? And da da da. But then I feel like they would have him fight the beast again, and it would just be a big revisit, and it'd be like what they did with the Star Wars movies. And we don't need a Darth Sidious, yeah, 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 to always be the bad guy. Yeah. Okay. So no, what I think would make a fucking great crawl movie would be a prequel. Take Yinir, the old ancient one, the old one. Yeah, Yinir, yeah, yeah. And do his story. When he was in love with Lissa, who becomes the widow of the web, right? Who, by the way, has the same name as the girl yes, that right. Corwin's in love what, with. And then I which think what would make it me great, out. <laughs> which would make a great movie is like have Yanir think he's supposed to be the fated one. Oh, and he and, I love and, it. and, and Lissa is I supposed love to it. be and his kid is supposed to be right. And then like he goes through all the trials and he learns about the um he learns about the the faded legend and he learns about the beast and he learns about the glaive 
And then, but he, he gets hit by the falling rocks. It's not him. <laughs> you know? then, yeah. And then he rockets him. him. He can't, it's like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> and then he, and then he has the falling out with Lissa. And then she has the son. Like, oh. She has a son that she, and like, she straight up kills. She says she straight up kills. Like him. I was so mad at you, I killed our kid. Yeah, and so she was like, "You story. must hate me." And he's like, "How can I stay mad at you?" Yeah, you're child, a fox. murderer. <laughs> Hard to be mad at a child murderer yeah. when they're this hot, you know. <laughs> I, that's what I think. I think that would make a great new crow. I love would be it. The, I love would it. Be that story. Tooth, yeah. thank you for inviting me to do. This. Yeah, man, this is too much fun. I love, hey man. Ugh, I love this movie so goddamn much. Yep. And for yep. no good reason other than it like it, it hit us both at the right age and like had the mm-hmm. right music, you know, and like because it's not a good movie. We both admit it's not a good movie. It's not the best. No, it really isn't. <laughs> and if, if you read, go check out the Wikipedia. You can read the creators being like, I fucking hated making this movie. <laughs> so we're both giving you three swords, I take it? Oh, dude, I give Crow three swords. Three swords for me as well. Excelsior. Oh. That is it for THN 577. And next week, the comic pushers are back to help a damsel in need of a new read. That's right. Ladies, listen to this show, too, you stinky nerds. So clean your shit up. Until then, Joe Patrick, set us up with a new question of the week. This week's question was submitted by Jimmy Randall via the THN forums. What is the most meaningful, life-altering scene in comics for you? To clarify, what scene, line, or moment in a comic book made you go, Huh, I'll be damned. What I just experienced while reading a comic book was so poignant and deeply notable that I'm going to let it guide my life a little bit from now on. In short, what was a moment from a comic that stuck with you so much it helped you somewhat grow as a human being? You may have noticed that THN Cover to Cover is back in full force. Now we go live every Saturday at Central Standard Time, 10.30 a.m. With Nerd News, we open the phone lines from 11 a.m. to noon Central Standard Time to talk about the news, the question of the week, and whatever else is on your mind this week. So call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answer to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You can also leave a voicemail at the phone number if you can't get through. However you do it, please send us your answers. We want to make you internet famous We beg you, due to the amount of calls we receive, please keep it under two minutes. We have to share the air, nerds. If you're new to the show and you'd rather see us driven before, you'd rather see us driven before you and listen to the lamentations of our women than listen to any more, I assure you. It is only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many episodes in a cheap, we want to thank our latest patron, Frank Cirillo. That hey, dude. Frankie. Hey, Frankie. Huh? Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to legendary Mad Magazine artist Al Jaffe, who retired this week at age 99. Same age as Prince Philip. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> 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 figure. Prince Philip is not 99, is he? Yeah. Today oh, is his 99th birthday. I was thinking of Prince Andrew, who is embroiled in the Jeffrey Epstein scandal. Oh, no, no, not that shit. Different guy. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, his retirement comes at the end of a 56-year-long career, setting the record as the longest working comic artist ever. 
Word to you, Mr. Jaffe. Thank you for all the laughs. I was a huge fan of Mad Magazine as a kid, especially the Mad Foldout on the back cover, which he created. Totally. Oh, my God. Those are amazing. He's a genius, and I cannot believe he stuck with it for this long. Thank you. Yeah, there's an urban legend about that foldout where they had a printing error where a bunch of, like, a cartoon that he had put out was printed with paper that had folded in the printer, and they pulled it apart, and they went, holy shit. Oh, (laughs) wow. That is cool. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a great story. I hope it's true. (laughs) Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just make sure you don't get to retire until you're 99. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Most of you are not going to make it north of 70, let's be honest. I I mean, I don't think we're going to make it. I know I'm not. I've got three (laughs) good weeks left. Tops. Tops.